Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 95, How We Can See Everyone. Hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am alongside licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, hey. We also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hello. Hey, Steve. (laughs) Today, I am so excited to learn more about how we can better see people around us, especially those who are wrestling with homelessness or who are poor. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation for the practical how-to that's been a big theme of this season is how we can practically lean in. Uh, But because, too, the whole uh, conversation is on seeing people and the title of the book that we're going to be exploring is called I See You. And if you guys were with us for last season, we talked talked about core needs or good needs that God put inside of us uh, before the fall. And one of those that we unpacked is this need to be seen. So I'm so excited to have someone teach us how to not only see those who are right next to us, but those who maybe we don't always see. Uh, So Terrence Lester, he is our guest today, and he's going to help us unpack this. Terrence, welcome. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for all for having me on this uh, this show. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, we are too. And for those of you who perhaps you don't know who Terrence is, he is a minister, speaker, community activist, author, and founder of Love Beyond Walls, a not-for-profit organization focused on poverty awareness and community mobilization. His campaigns on behalf of the poor have been featured in USA Today and Black Enterprise and on NBC and Upworthy and have been viewed by millions of people globally. So that's pretty cool. He recently published the book, I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People with InterVarsity Press, which we love IVP, <laughs> but welcome, Terrence. Yeah, thank you. Uh, huge shout out to InterVarsity Press. Yeah. <laughs> um, grateful to be here and uh, looking forward to, to trying to tackle this subject with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we love InterVarsity too, as that's who Matt and I are publishing with, so... Yay for deadlines that are just about coming. Okay, so Terrence, uh, we want to hear all the things. But first, we're going to unpack the question of the week from last week, which is, what was your favorite school lunch, either packed or the hot lunch variety? Oh, the favorite school lunch. It had to be pizza. Yeah, the square pizza, because that was what our list. Yeah, yeah, the square pizza, um, not too burned, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Yep, and uh, um, they had the pouch milks back then, oh. so it was a straw- strawberry or chocolate uh, pouch milk. Yeah, strawberry. <laughs> I don't even remember that, but I can like smell it in my nose right now. Just what that pizza day smelled like, and it was pizza day. It was pizza day, and all the kids shouted. Okay, yeah. Matt, what about you? Which listener uh, did stood out to you in the lunch variety? Yeah, I was a big fan of what our good friend Sarah said on Facebook. My favorite school food growing up is so weird that I doubted myself for a minute if I was remembering correctly, but I used to love eating sandwiches with mayo and cheese on them. And that sounds disgusting to me now. I don't know if my mom just convinced me that they were delicious uh, because we were out of meat or something, but um, I definitely do not eat them now. And I also loved chicken and a biscuit crackers. Um, I loved them so much that I ate them non-stop and to this day I no longer eat them because I just got so sick of them. 
And so then she said she needs to check with her mom. Yeah. And and the reason I I just, I mean, I literally had to pause and like try not to dry heave as I was was reading it. And that's going to make me pick it all just because it's like, okay, she's owning it. Yeah. Yeah. She's owning that sandwich. I had multiple people tell me that sandwich, cheese and mayo. That must have been a thing in the 90s. Really? I don't know. I remember the chicken biscuit crackers. That's gross like, too. Yeah, they they were they were strangely addictive. <laughs> maybe uh, there's more than yeah. Just, okay. Maybe so. Matt. So why? so so yeah. it, it just stopped me in my tracks because I was like, oh yeah, pizza, everyone's favorite. But then it got me thinking about my like favorite kind of weird thing that I did, and it was peanut butter and jelly, but no jelly, so just peanut butter with ruffled potato chips inside the sandwich. You would. You yep. throw a pickle. No, you don't like pickles. No, I don't like pickles. Pickles are the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for anyone who likes pickles. I know there was a commenter who loved pickles, but yeah, no. That was my weird like thing that I actually fairly consistently had grade school all the way through high, high school was peanut butter sandwich, put the ruffles, yeah. you know, in the bread. Your tri- mom made that decorate. for you? Of course she did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Our childhoods were so different. Okay, Steve, go for it. Uh, I like this comment. Aaron said, My favorite hot lunch when I was in school was that rectangle pizza with the cubed pepperoni and our school chef's homemade wild mushroom soup. For cold lunch, I liked bologna and Velveeta on wheat bread with ketchup and a nutty bar. The nutty bar, though. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I just liked that she kind of had the categories, you she know. Um, I feel like my school, the schools that I went to as a kid had hot lunch, but I do not remember them. I, I don't remember. I, the one I remember is tacos. Mm. Like, Walking tacos? Uh, like in the chip bag? N- no. Too no. Fancy. It was just regular old tacos. Mm. And I didn't know that I liked tacos until I had tacos at school. Mm. I remember as a little kid, I went home, told my mom, I like tacos. You should make tacos. It's that MSG, man. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and then as far as packed lunch, which I think it was most of the time it was packed lunch, it was a bologna and cheese sandwich. Now, I don't know about Velveeta, but yeah, <laughs> bologna and cheese. Uh, well, I liked this from listener Renee. My favorite lunch growing up was definitely tuna fish. I was never more excited than when I would open up that little brown bag with an R on the front that my mom had made for me and find my lunch inside, which was three-fourths of a tuna fish sandwich on whole wheat bread with a slightly wilted piece of iceberg lettuce on it and an apple from the orchard near our home or maybe some slices of oranges um, and a few Cheetos or Fritos in a baggie and one and a half Oreos in another baggie. <laughs> Might, maybe two, but usually one and a half. And um, a napkin, sometimes with a little smiley face on it and ink. And that was my favorite lunch ever. I love it because that is my actual sister. <laughs> That's oh, okay. My I was s- like, what happened to the other quarter of sandwich? <laughs> also, I, yes, three quarter sandwich. Listen, guys. And tuna? I have 11 brothers and sisters. Yeah, okay. So my precious mother would stay up late and make all these sandwiches in little baggies and put them in the brown paper bag. And so we'd get parts of sandwiches that we share. <laughs> if we went to McDonald's, it was a that was a treat. We'd get half of one. But I just could so picture that. So I had to picture my sister who... Uh, just really threw me back. Yeah. And Swiss cake rolls, though. That was my favorite thing. Oh, yeah. But, oh, you were not getting both Swiss cake rolls in the pack. <laughs> you were sharing them, definitely. <laughs> Unless you literally, like, stole them and you'd feel all sorts of guilt. But you could get only one of them. So I love that because that's my sister. <laughs> all right. 
Terrence. We're going to get a little deeper into your heart and this book that you wrote. Um, but before we do that, we ask every guest the set of questions, which is, when was the gospel, which is, I am more loved than I can imagine and more sinful than I believe. <laughs> when was that gospel first good news for you? And how is it still good news? Yeah, great question. Um, actually, I, I was I was away at college and I was around 20 years old. I had uh, overcome, you know, uh, experiencing homelessness as a as a teenager, uh, running away from home. Uh, was once a high school dropout. Hmm. My mom showed me a lot of tough love, and finally I overcame a lot of those challenges. Graduated high school and uh, I was away at college. I was on college campus and uh, got in got in some trouble uh, with one of my friends, and it landed me in a in a jail cell in a small country town. And I'll never forget uh, having the police officer walk me through, and they took all of my things from me, um, my shoes, and they gave me this orange jumpsuit, and they immediately put me in uh, like population. So I'm in this small cell with like 16 other inmates, and um, this guy, uh, comes up to me, obviously I'm in deep thought at that moment. And, uh, he asked me, was I going to eat the dinner that they had hmm. distributed to everybody? And I was like, nah. So I, I gave him, uh, the dinner that they had given me. And then he goes on to, uh, start to talk to me about, uh, the Lord uh, right there in a jail cell. He asked me this question that I'll never forget. He says, man, what on earth are you doing here? And that question wasn't a question to try to see like, you know, what crime did you commit? Or like, how did you end up here? He was basically asking me, uh, like, why are you wasting your life? Um, mm -hmm. caused me to think about being, you know, fatherless, uh, having a lot of, uh, challenges growing up and, um, I kind of, heard my grandmother's voice through him hmm. uh, when my grandmother would, you know, kind of say, Terrence, you need to go to church and you need to get plugged into a community of faith. And so I'll never forget. Uh, I'll wrap this up. But, you know, I, I got out and the charges were dropped um, and I left that school. And I immediately came back towards uh, the city of Atlanta. And one of my friends invited me to this small Bible study. Uh, it was it had to be about maybe eight or nine guys. And I opted to go. I didn't have anything else going on. And I, I wanted to, you know, just kind of go and sit in to see if I could hear something that was, that sounded like good news. Hmm. And so I'll never forget, you know, sitting in this room and hearing this, this preacher like hammered through Romans. <laughs> and then he came through this verse that says in that while we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us. And it was something about that passage that that communicated God's love in a way that I'll never forget mm -hmm. um, that while I was broken, while I had all of my baggage, uh, while I was experiencing all that I had gone through uh, in my upbringing, that God still sent um, his son, uh, this this perfect and free gift for me uh, because he loved me. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that room. I asked that guy, I was like, man, you know, what do I have to do to, to be saved and um, to give my life to, to Jesus? And, and so 
from that moment on, uh, I haven't looked back since. And the, the way that is still good news for me is because I'm reminded uh, every time I think about the goodness of God and what he's done through Christ uh, on my behalf, I'm reminded of where God has brought me from. So hmm. long story short, yeah. So good. And what I love about asking that question over and over is I am never like bored of it. But what you said is someone took a risk to ask you to like, just ask you questions, but then to even invite you to a Bible study. And I think so much in this polarized world where we get scared to say anything, especially like ask someone to a Bible study, but look at what it did and look at what the impact you're having on the kingdom of God, because someone asked you was, was brave and invited you. So that's a takeaway I'm already taking now. But I know you have so much to offer, um, including this book that you wrote. And it's specifically about caring for the impoverished and homeless among us. And we carry, I carry a lot of preconceived notions about the poor and homeless. And, and you list in your book, just what, what are some of the most common? Yeah, um, there are all sorts of, uh, I guess, preconceived uh, notions or biases towards individuals that are living on the streets, like, um, like maybe you chose to be there or you're lazy mm-hmm. or you have some type of character flaw or, um, you know, you're a problem or you're a criminal or you're mm-hmm. uneducated. Um, all of these misconceptions kind of, in my opinion, place people in buckets, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it becomes like secondhand information because we, we stand in judgment towards other people that we've never even met. Yeah. Uh, we're basically getting information that we probably watched on the television show or we've, you know, consumed in an environment or a community that we were in or something that we overheard. And we kind of like uh, paint with a broad brush everybody going through the experience of homelessness must be this way. Right. And then we just kind of put people in buckets. But, you know, the thing that I'm advocating for is that every single individual was created in the image of God. And every single person has a story. Um, if I didn't own a truck, you wouldn't call me truckless. Right. If I didn't, you know, walk around and, um, have a, a blanket, you wouldn't call me, oh, that's the guy without a blanket. You would identify me as a person first. And I've seen all sorts of stories. I mean, I could share more of my story, but I've seen people, uh, you know, arrive in the plight from domestic violence or a job loss, or, you know, there was a loss of a loved one in a family or, you know, uh, depression. Uh, you talked about earlier that your your husband was a, a clinical counselor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's so many different uh, ways into this plight. And I think what we have to do is um, get to know the individual instead of just like uh, typecasting a group of people uh, that are experiencing this plight. Mm. So how did you do that? Because like how did you go from like you shared a piece of your story that you you know this was part of your your story growing up just this experience of homelessness so was it just there that you learned how to see people you write this book i see you 
But how, how did your heart and your eyes adjust to not look over homeless people, but to really see them? Yeah, so it goes into um, understanding that we're all poor in some way. Hmm. I mean, I mean, the crux of the gospel is that uh, Jesus came to pay a debt and rescue us from spiritual poverty. Paul even says that he he gave up everything. He became poor so that we might become rich, uh, rich in what? Rich in relationship with God. Uh, Paul uses the word. Uh, we've been reconciled, right? And so, uh, I think out of a like a overwhelming joy of just understanding what God has done for us, for me, um, that that creates this overwhelming feeling where I want to uh, then go out and share that same love with other people. Um, and what people mostly miss, I believe, is that we're all poor in some way, and when we understand that. Um, and understand what God has done for us, that creates a bridge uh, that we can walk over um, and show our brother and sister who may be living on the street and experiencing hardship uh, the same type of love that we would want for ourselves or that we have received from ourselves uh, from our God. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people are immaterially poor, but some people are materially poor. And then, uh, you know, going a little deeper, I never forget what God has done for me. I remember when I was 16 and a half years old and uh, I had left home and I was going to sleep in a park. Mm-hmm. I went to a gas station. I'm 16 and a half years old. I mean, I got school the next day and um, I was begging for change. Um, and this guy walks up to me and he asked, you know, like, young man, why aren't you at home? Don't you have school, et cetera. And I told him my situation and he gave me two quarters. Back then you had to use a payphone. And I walked over to the payphone and I called my friend Eric. Uh, Eric was a friend. I knew his family well. And I'm on the phone with him. I'm like, man, do you think your father would allow me to come over and uh, have a meal with you? Because I don't know where I'm getting a meal from tonight. I'm sleeping in the park. Um, He puts down the phone, goes and asks his parents. His dad says yes. I actually, I actually go over to his house. I'm driving in my car. I don't have any gas. I know I'm going to sleep in my car that night. And uh, I arrive at his house, and I, next thing I know, I see his dad walking towards me. His dad was a man of faith. I'm 16 and a half years old, almost 17. He walks up to a car with a hot dog and a soccer ball. He hands me the hot dog, tells me to look at him in his eyes. Um, this guy was not my own father, uh, but a, a man, probably the first man that I could ever look in the eyes and that I felt like I trusted. And he tells me, you're going to be a leader. He says, uh, here's this soccer ball. He hands me this soccer ball. And he says, you're just like the soccer ball. I said, what do you mean, man? He says, um, this soccer ball is just like us because this soccer ball is placed on the field or an environment in between two teams that it didn't ask to be in between. And just like me and you and everybody else, sometimes we grow up in environments that we didn't ask to be in. He says, but you wanna know what? You just like it because the soccer ball has been kicked around and you have too. But the way that the soccer ball survives this, all of the kicks is what's on the inside of it. He says, young man, you have something on the inside of you. Then he goes on to tell me that it was made with the purpose uh, and God has a purpose for me. And then he spoke to me and says, the way that you're going to overcome uh, where you are now, because this soccer ball has goals and you're going to have to have goals. Uh, this guy <laughs> became my, my mentor um, and invested in me. 
Um, one of the guys that, you know, I was able to reach out to and ask, could I, should I marry her? Uh, should I pursue in, uh, college and work a job and put myself through school? It was in the basis of that God-centered relationship that I found empowerment. I found encouragement. I, I had somebody to see me past all of my sufferings. Mm-hmm. You see, because people don't become what you want them to become. They become what you encourage them to become. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Moore uh, passed away the first year I started uh, Love Beyond Walls. And I remember standing at his funeral and uh, everybody on stage that spoke were people that he saw that he invested in. And there were there were individuals experiencing homelessness that overcame it, uh, saying words at his funeral. It wasn't a big funeral, uh, but Mr. Moore modeled what it meant to be like. Uh, the parable Jesus is talking about in in the text where it says, and the shepherd left the 99 to pursue the one, you know, and that's kind of how I I try to live my life. Mm -hmm. It's all about the one in front of me. It's all about, can I incarnate Christ in a way that shows people that we serve a God that is alive, that is moving, um, because we're called to be his hands and feet. So Mm -hmm. yeah, long story short. Yeah. So good though. All incredibly rich. So, okay, can you help us though, Terrence? Because you started off that beautiful, necessary story with saying, um, you know you are, because of Christ, spiritually rich. And so you're like, I wanna go share this with others. And, and then also you were seen in your mess and loved in your mess, and so you wanted to go and love others. But can you help us, like those of us in this, room right now. And so, you know, there's people this week who came up to Matt and I asking for change and asking for money. And I have my own assumptions. I'm like, well, probably their story is not true or, you know, maybe they're just going to use it for drugs. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, What what can we do? Like, are they lying? Are they going to go? Like, how can we in real life, us in this room, see people the way you are seeing and the way Jesus sees them? Right. That's a great question. And it's it's one of those things where it's like you become so passionate and so overwhelmed by the gospel yourself Mm. um, that you want to share that good news with other people. Um, Like it's 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 almost like. When I read the words uh, in, in Luke 4, when Jesus walks in the synagogue and he's, he starts to quote and he says, man, I've come to give good news to the poor. Like, that is amazing to me. Or when you read Matthew 9 and it, uh, Jesus is is uh, saying that the, the writer here is, you know, telling us that Jesus was around people who are weary and, and broken and they were like sheep with no shepherd and he was moved with compassion. When I, when I read things like that, they jump off of the pages to me and I say, man, I want to live like Christ in that way. Um, but I want to live that way in my everyday life. And one of the first ways you have, you, you can, you can do that is by acknowledging, uh, people. It's not fixing their situations right away. It's not trying to put a bandaid on their situations, but it's just giving them that acknowledgement. All throughout the Gospels, 
you you see Jesus moving and walking around uh, in his earthly ministry. And the, the best phrases in the New Testament is, and Jesus saw, mm-hmm. and Jesus saw. You'll see these passages, and Jesus saw. But not only did he see people, he, he became proximate to them. Um, because uh, that's the type of uh, uh, savior we serve. And I, I think uh, what will radically change our understanding and even our, 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 our misconceptions about people is by acknowledging them and getting proximate. What's that um, look like, like acknowledging someone? Is it literally like, you know, the, the young man who came up to us looking, is like looking yeah. them in the eye and saying, like, what do we say? It's, it's, it's looking them in the eye. It's asking them, how are, how's your day going? Huh. You know, it's asking them, how long have you been out here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's asking them, you know, what's your story? It's, it's getting to understand them for who they are in this moment. And you'll be amazed. I have this, I'll, I'll never forget, I was riding in the car. Me, It was me and my wife, my son, and my daughter. My son and my daughter were in the back seat and... Uh, we were at the stop sign and uh, my son starts crying. And so I turn around, I'm like, what's going on, man? You know, and he points over and he sees uh, this guy who's standing on the corner with a sign. And he says that that guy is my, my son. He was like maybe six at the time. He said he's a poor, poor person and he doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, buddy, do you want to say something to him? Because my kids have been, you know, kind of around <laughs> and my wife doing this work. And instead of locking the doors or, you know, you know, rolling up the window, I rolled down the window. I, I invited the guy over. And not only did I invite him over, I introduced myself, but I allowed the guy to walk around to the car on the side where my son was. Mm. Um, and I said, my son has something to say to you. And my son just out of nowhere, he says, I'm your friend and, you know, I care about uh, the poor, poor people. This guy lit up. I mean, this this whole circumstance turned into like a 30 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned his name. His name was Cyrus. He, he was a father. And then from that, we were we were able to, like, uh, provide him with the resources that he needed because Cy- we understood Cyrus in this moment. All he needed was information, because sometimes when you're living on the streets, you don't have access to technology and technology creates this divide and the divide uh, causes you to be at a disadvantage. And that's all I'm saying. Hmm. Um, Sometimes it's just stopping just to to engage. It may be four or five minutes out of your day. It may be 10 minutes out of your day, but you never know how just acknowledging someone will give them enough courage and enough encouragement or hope to continue on. We meet people all the time say, man, I can't believe you stopped and talked to me. You're the first person that has said something to me all week. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm learning and I'm getting a little teary eyed cause I'm like, wow, I have a lot <laughs> like far to go to be able to do what you're doing. Um, of just courage and you're just breaking down stereotypes in my head. So thank you. But practically speaking, like, you know, I I think sometimes we avoid eye contact because we think all that they want is money. Again, just being honest. And so if I engage in a conversation, does that mean I also should give them a $20 bill or like, how do I like, should we give 
practical resources. I know some people in their car, they'll have like, here's a granola bar and a blanket. And I don't, like, what's kind? What's actually Jesus-like? Yeah. Well, so, and and this is, this is another thing that I kind of encourage people um, with conversation. You, you also have to be dis- discerning. Mm-hmm. Um, discernment is... Uh, a powerful tool, uh, and it it's kind of cultivated just by listening, you know, putting pieces of the story together, asking information. Um, but me personally, I never give money, <laughs> hmm. and people are always like, "You never give money." It's like, no, because I, I give my time, I give information, and if uh, there's some need that I could uh, fulfill. I have someone follow up from my organization or I'll, I'll do it in a moment. And I'll never forget I was in Chicago and these, these create learning experiences as well. So this 27 year, uh, year old came up to me. Uh, his name was, uh, let's just call him Corbin and me and Corbin got into a, you know, maybe five, six minute conversation immediately just from hearing this guy. I was, I was discerning. He says, man, I don't want any, um, anything from you. I just want something to eat. Uh, there just happened to be, a, a like this chicken joint behind us. And I said, okay, I got, I got seven extra minutes. Come on, Corbin, let's walk in here. Um, I put my arm around them. We're walking in, we're talking. And the moment we walked through the door, it was like in concert, everybody behind the counter started frowning, Um, you know, we had another, uh, worker, you know, wanting him to get out and I'm like, he's my guest. And it it just kind of like created this, this scene where, um, people wanted him to get out because they, his homelessness was not welcome. Mm -hmm. So what I did was, uh, I gave him the money to purchase the food and we sat right there and we ate until he finished. And Mm -hmm. I acknowledge you at the end of the conversation. He said, man, thank you uh, for being here with me. There, there are people around who will just not allow me to walk in because of my circumstance. And I said all that to say is sometimes presence can trump money. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you can give in the moment uh, to small things. Uh, but greater than that is equipping yourself. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, counselor as well. And I, I learned early on that you have to be resourceful, you know, uh, discovering what's in your community uh, that's solving this problem or this issue, uh, being knowledgeable about how you could direct people, even if you can't do direct services or solve the issue right there in the spot. Maybe you could just pass along a contact. Hey, I know of this organization down the street. They do this. Hey, th- I heard about this. Um, this great ministry in this area, they do this. Uh, sometimes it's just present. Sometimes it's given to a direct need, but sometimes it's just equipping yourself with the information that you could pass along. Yeah. And here's the truth. You're not going to be able to help everybody. And most people think that I have to just jump all in hmm. and try to help everybody I see. I say help, help the person that God places in front of you. Hmm. Um, that's that's a very practical way. And if you reduce it down to let me just do what I can do for who God places in my path, man, you'll start to see 
so many, so many uh, different types of impact, not only in your own heart, but in the lives of uh, people that are before you. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Terrence, thank you. I, I say thank you, but I'm also sitting here feeling very convicted. Um, I mean, Lori mentioned that this last week a, a, a gentleman came up to us and, and we were at a kind of a market and had our family with us and we were getting, getting ready to sit down to, to, to eat. And this guy comes up and he asked for money. Um, and, and I ended up giving him money, but in examining kind of my own <laughs> reasoning, I mean, the reason I gave him money was because I wanted him to leave. I wanted to get back to my family. And so I didn't see him at all, even though he got exactly what he asked for. Maybe not as much of it, but so, yeah, I, I'm feeling con- very convicted as, as someone who I very easily could have just sat down and had a two minute conversation and, and really, really seen the man. Mm. And I didn't. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, my encouragement to you <clears throat> as, as I've, I've listened to you uh, just share that like going for every time the opportunity presents itself. This, this is how I think that I have an opportunity to show my kids how to love like Jesus. Yeah. Uh, how to respond like Christ. Um, and, but you know, with wisdom, just kind of like teaching them, you know, how to, how to have, I call it uh, wise courage, mm-hmm. you know, just think about the, the generational impact that you're, you're going to have um, the next time you love the person that's before you. Mm. It's going to be amazing, man. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I'm sitting <laughs> encouraged and convicted and really just like feel like I hit my head on a, on a window, like the paradigm shattered because I think there's a group we, we don't see the poor and the homeless among us. And as believers, like, where would Jesus be if he was here, which he is through us? But like, if he was physically here, he would be on the streets with people and not probably in a ton of our churches, to be honest with you. But he would be really the hands and feet. And yet we like we excuse each other. Well, of course, oh, they're going to use it for drugs. Oh, they're going to blah, blah, blah. Like we but to take the time to actually see and look inside people's eyes. I'm just really grateful for your, your story and your impact, uh, Terrence. So, okay, I guess just, I don't know. Can you give us some marching orders as far as like, what can we do as just the first next right step, which the first one is get your book and read it because it's convicting also. Um, but what, what could we do? Like, should we pack our car? Should we do some research on the internet so that we know like what are some resources in our area? And then should we, you know, have some of those granola bars and things like what's, what's a step, what's a couple steps we could take so that we can prepare to have these conversations and see people. Yeah. Um, I always start with the person. So this is an untraditional answer. I normally say the first thing you, you, you have to do is um, create margin in your life. And people are like, what What do you mean, margin? Yep. Um, I, I was on the phone not too long ago with a friend. Same situation. Uh, his daughter started crying in the car. She saw a mother and a child on, a, on the corner. He said he had no clue. He didn't see it. His wife was on the phone. She was texting. 
Uh, he had his mind on some other things that he had to do. And he said he totally missed it. Um, and that's kind of like what happens. Uh, sometimes our, our lives are, are flooded with things that have no eternal value. Yeah. Um, they keep us uh, emotionally weighed down. They keep us, um, you know, passing by. And I think a psychological term would be uh, or a clinical term would be uh, we have inattentional blindness mm. where we become so familiar with the environment that we start to become even blind to what's even there uh, around us uh, because we're spread too thin. And the first thing I tell people to do is how, how, how does your how's your life set up? How is your margin set up? Do you even have the availability in your life? for God to use you. Because what happens is um, we're spread thin and we're saying, Lord, use me. You know, I want to make a difference. I want to make an impact. It was like, I need you to get open. <laughs> yeah. Um, I need you to take things off your plate that uh, don't necessarily belong there where you can create enough margin where you can glorify me in your service um, and in your scene. And I'm, I'm convinced that if we live lean lives, you know, I'm not saying like cut off uh, everything you you know know and enjoy, but I'm saying like create enough margin where service can become a lifestyle in your life, where you can train your mind and your heart to see people, to see opportunities, uh, to see God moving, and and um, see where God may need you to serve. Then it, it kind of sets our our hearts up in a, in a posture and a position that if we do see somebody we're open because we're not weighed down because we have too much going on in our lives. Um, I normally start there. And then, I, you know, the second thing is, you know, just educating yourself about some of the basic things that, that people need, uh, you know, living out on the streets. Uh, here recently, we had uh, this kid, I think this kid came down she was like, eight years old. She was about to turn nine. She had come to our center to volunteer. She had interacted with, uh, with the community and she had learned some things, uh, because we created this, this museum, um, that represents homelessness. And she goes back, she tells her parents and for her birthday, uh, she learned all of these things that, uh, people living on the streets needs. And she, instead of getting presents for her birthday, her ninth birthday, she raised a bunch of items and uh, came and showed up with our organization to uh, use those resources, not as just handouts, but, you know, opportunities to build relationships with people and their family got involved and things like that. Sometimes it's just, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out the what you can do with excess. Yeah. Sometimes we just have so much excess, you know, just think about the 10 pair of shoes you're not using in your closet right now. Uh, there are people who are praying for shoes right now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. think about all of the excess food that you'll probably throw away. You know, we waste billions of pounds of food uh, every day in this country. And there are people who go to sleep hungry. Uh, I just, you know, kind of frame it like, what do you have extra in your life over and above that could be a blessing to somebody else? Um, And thirdly, uh, I would, I would say just, you know, kind of becoming aware of organizations in your community. And it, it, it doesn't just have to be with, you know, homelessness. I mean, poverty is, uh, you know, the root cause of a lot of different 
uh, issues in society and culture, and you may become passionate about some something else, but you never know uh, that after you start taking those steps towards making yourself knowledgeable ab- about what's in the area, how if you meet somebody, you may have come across something something that you could you know pass along to somebody else, and then you know fourthly, I, I I'm really a relational guy. I, I try to push people to enter into relationships uh, like uh, my friend Jason Marcus, who started coming out to gather Atlanta's with his family um, in a safe environment and built a relationship with this guy named Johnny. I'll, I'll never forget he invited Johnny over to uh, Thanksgiving, uh, which was a huge risk for this family. I was like, wow, man, you're going out on a limb. But he did. And you know, him and his wife helped Johnny put together a resume. And then, you know, some of our resources got grooming materials and items. And then he got, you know, a suit and he got dressed all up and he got a job. And now mm-hmm. Johnny has an apartment in Tennessee because his family decided to, like, just kind of focus on one and build a relationship in a safe environment. There are things that ha- can happen like that, but you never know until you take the step. Mm-hmm. Man, Terrence, thank you for your heart and life and for this book and just everybody go out and read it. And um, really, you are you have a gift of convicting people with the spirit of God, but with the gentleness mm-hmm. of a surgeon. So thank you for convicting my heart. And I think um, Matt and I are going to take some steps and Steve, I'm sure you will too, yeah. to really try and see people. So thank you so much. Oh, praise God. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. And um, I'm encouraged by you all as well. This is a a great conversation. Thank you. Now, guys, if you want to read that book, I See You, so that we can really see uh, just people we don't and that it's been acceptable not to, uh, I will link you in the podcast episode page at himhministries.com to that book, as well as if you want to follow Terrence on Instagram, Twitter, etc. We will link you there as well. And guys, we so appreciate you. Uh, If you want to drop us a review, it helps people find this podcast and um, just to share it or just to share with us too. Some of you have reached out and asked for prayer and I love it. And we are praying for you. So feel free to do that. Now, our question of the week for next week. What does your name mean? And does that affect you at all? Like, do you think like, oh, I mean my name means this and does it affect your life at all so i just want to hear so thanks guys please reach out to us at podcast at himhministries.com you can just drop us your voice memo or you can respond on instagram facebook twitter when i ask and i'll try and do it sooner than just a couple hours before we record so we can get those voice memos all right well guys thanks for traveling the convicting heart journey with us in this gospel-centered podcast and um, we just really appreciate you and so for all of us here at that hole in my heart podcast we will see you next week So you were talking about the worship leader at the chapel. You I don't did. really have much more to say other than I just he wanted to see sounded Johnny. like Johnny Cash? Yes. And he did he look sound, like him? He did not look like okay. him. But we try and dress our son like Johnny Cash in all black. I don't know why. Okay. That's cool. Not all the time. My favorite uncle growing yes. up, my Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. Everybody got an Uncle Bob. He was a lifelong bachelor.
Yep. And I remember as a little kid, and of course this would have been the 70s when Johnny Cash was huge. Yes, he was. He reminded me of Johnny Cash so much. Did he, he just try? had this gruff way of, yep. but he was so soft-hearted. What's-his-face? That's good, Lori. Good call, people. What's-his-face? Somebody. Giglio? No. Somebody's who, writing who? a book, a biography of Johnny Cash. Really? Yes. Mm. Mm. Who Lewis? is it? Louis Giglio? <laughs> yes, Matt. That's how you say that.